it's one of my fears uh, as a pastor once I get mic'd is, is forgetting to shut it off at the wrong time. Um, we this week are continuing our series uh, called Raise the Bar, which is in the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to Genesis chapter 40. For those of you that are flipping there, and if those that don't know me, besides being a pastor, I also work at a financial institution company. And then because I'm bored and have a bunch of free time, I also coach my kids soccer. Um, now, the two soccer ages that I coach are three and fours, which are their first seasons playing. And then uh, Tyler's in the eight and nine-year-old uh, division. And it's fun, the eight and nine-year-old division, it's kind of like soccer now. Like there's a little bit of strategy. They kind of get the game. Most of them have the basics nailed down. Um, the games are kind of fun because, you know, there's back and forth scoring and I got to make in-game adjust. I feel a little bit like a coach, you know. You get to walk the sidelines. It's kind of fun. Um, the three and four-year-olds, that one's so weird because there's games like yesterday where it was like a game. Like, it's four on four, and, and what you're mostly hoping for, best case scenario, is six kids on the field know what you're doing. You never get all eight knowing what you're doing, but occasionally you get six of them who understand the concept of, we're going this way, you're going that way, and we should try to stay in bounds. And when that happens, you get a fun little game happening. But what's so weird about toddlers is I swear there's like, they're so fickle. Right? If the game's too early, or if the game's too late, or if it's too close to nap time, or too far from nap time, or too close to when they ate, or too far from when they're going to eat, then they're nightmares. There is like this one perfect sweet spot time temperature and sleep ratio where they're ready to play. And if that doesn't happen, I'm not a soccer coach, I'm a cat herder. Most of the game is me picking up children, throwing them back onto the field, chasing another child, grabbing them, apologizing to the parent, and throwing them onto the field. And that's how you spend half of your games, is just trying to keep them on the field, not using their hands, and hopefully not crying. But I will tell you, there, there's at least twice a season where you look out on the field, and you just see like eight toddlers crying, and all the parents are like, why do we do this? <laughs> why are we doing this to them? But it's funny to me because... Those toddlers reflect, in many ways, the same sensitivity we as Christians often have. And what I mean by that is, I tend to find that with Christians, if we're going to be our best, if we're really going to be holy and righteous, and, and we're going to be on the things, and doing the right things, that what ends up happening is we need everything to line up. Right, like I think if most of us were, all, all, were honest about our Bible reading habits, for a lot of us, the stars have to align. I need to not be tired enough. I need to not be busy enough. I need to have enough free time. There needs to be nothing new on Netflix. I need to have had the kids in bed on time. And then maybe, just maybe, with all those stars aligned, I'll read my Bible. See, the problem for a lot of us is in our relationship with God, if everything's not perfect, we have an excuse to not behave, an excuse to not act, an excuse to fall a little bit below what we know the standard is for us. And this is why you so often see Christians behaving badly. We always have an excuse. We always have a reason. We always have something that gives us an out 
for behaving the right way. And what we're trying to look at when we look at the story of Joseph in Genesis 39 and 40 is how you become a consistent character. How do you become the kind of person that no matter what the circumstances of life are, you are you? Like, do you understand that that's like the foundation of God's existence? Do you remember when Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and God encounters him? And Moses goes, who are you? And God reveals his name to him. He says, I am the I am. In that statement, he's revealing two very profound and powerful things. One, Moses, I can be and do whatever I want. You are used to gods who are limited by certain capabilities, right? In most religions you see, previous to God, Yahweh, you had God of fire, God of light, God of water, God of darkness, God of heaven, God of hell, God of animals, God of plants, right? These gods were limited. Yahweh goes, I can be what I want to be. The limitation to me is me. I will be anything I want to be. And the second thing he's stating by that, I am the I am. I'm consistent. I am consistent. There is no past me, future me, present me. There's me. I am always this way. I am always loving. I am always powerful. I am always God. I am always capable. It's why we can put so much faith in him. See, it's hard for us sometimes to put faith in other people because here's what we know about people. People change a lot. Like some of us, we have friends that we know this about, right? We have friends that we know, like if they're in this situation or in this location or in this place, they're good. But if they're in that place with those people, eh, watch out. Watch out. You don't want to be around them when they're in that scenario. And so throughout Scripture, what's revealed to us is that true power and the power that is reflected in being like God is being somebody that is consistent in character. It doesn't mean you can walk into a room and beat everybody up. It means you can walk into a room and the world can push you. The world can pressure you. Temptation can be thrown your way, but you will still be you. You love, not because people deserve it, but because you're loving. Right? You're patient, not because the world around you is pushing you to be patient, but because that's who you are. God has made you patient. You become something that sits apart from the setting, and you're not bent by the things around you. And so as we've been looking at the story of Joseph, we see this. We see a man who continually is on this roller coaster of circumstances. Right? He starts, and he's the rich, favorite son of a powerful man. He has wealth. He has privilege. He has comfort. He has fine goods. Everything is good for him. But what happens? His brothers, because of this favoritism, hate him and sell him to be a slave. Now, he's sent to this foreign land. He's sent to be a slave. And what does he do? He doesn't give up. He doesn't lose faith. He continues to praise God. He continues to worship God. He continues to behave godly. And he works, and he works, and he works, and he works. 
And over a period of probably about a decade, he rises up from being this foreign, unknown slave to being the second most powerful person in his master's house. He takes care of everything. He takes care of the finances. He takes care of the estate. He takes care of everything. It says the only thing that Potiphar, the master of the house, cares about is the food that he puts into his mouth. Everything else he trusts to Joseph. A decade of building himself back up. But what happens? The wife becomes bitter because she won't, he won't have an affair with her. She falsely accuses him of rape. And he's thrown into jail. Does he give up? No. It would have been so easy to give up, right? I've been, I've been already betrayed by my family. I worked my tail off, rose myself back up to prominence, and then again I'm thrown to the bottom. So easy for him to give up. But no, what does he do in jail? The same thing he's always done before. He praises God. He works hard. He builds relationships. He prospers. And he always gives glory to God. And slowly over time, what happens? He rises up to a place that what? that the warden has given them full control of the jail and everything is in his hands. <clears throat> See, what we love about this is that wherever you put this guy, whatever circumstances he goes through, you aren't able to change him. You can change his setting. You can change his clothes. You can change his wealth. You can change the food he eats. You can change the people around him, but you can't touch him. And not because of some personal strength he has, but because he leans on God to provide the might. When God is our source of power, when God is where our identity comes from, we become these pillars that can't be moved. Because it's his power, it's his might, it's his wisdom that holds us in place. And brothers and sisters, that's my biggest prayer for us. Is that we become more like that. I'm going to vent to you for just a second because I don't always get to do this as a pastor. But I'll be just real with you. Church folks are fickle. I know if there's a Cowboys game on early, we're going to have low attendance. I know if it rains, we're going to have low attendance. I know if it's cold. We're going to have low attendance. I know that if there was a big event on Saturday night, we're going to have low attendance. Pretty much if there is any reasonable excuse to not be here at 11 o'clock on Sunday, it will be used. Always. Always. And what's so funny to me is the excuses that are often used for not being at church, we don't use anywhere else. The very same people who will tell you, it's just so hard to get up into church by 11 on a Sunday, are up and ready at 7 on Monday. That's interesting. How are you able to pull that off? That must literally be a miracle. But what does it come down to? It comes down to passion. It comes down to purpose. It comes down to what you want. And the reality is, I need the paycheck I don't necessarily need to hear Luke talk. And so we've got to look at ourselves and realize that sometimes in our lives, the reason we're not achieving, the reason we're not getting everything that God talks about in Scripture, it's not Him, it's us. 
And for many Christians, we're seeking to do the bare minimum. We're not asking how much can I do? How great can I reach? How far can I go? Now, I want you to pay attention today because as we see Joseph do this, Joseph does a great job of revealing to us that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. See, I think of many of us, even though we sometimes laugh about this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, we actually kind of believe it a little bit. We kind of believe if we consistently go to church, if we consistently read our Bible, if we consistently do the right thing, if we consistently pray, if we consistently give, that God is going to bless us and good things are going to happen. Joseph kind of reveals to us, they do, but they're not the things of the world. Like so far, we're three chapters and we're like 15 years of lifespan into this guy's journey. And we've yet to have one of those moments where he does something and we go like, ugh. That was a very bad decision. Almost everything we've covered, we've been like, that's solid. Man, that's biblical. That's right. That's holy. That's patient. That's kind. That was just. But look what's happened. From favored son to slave to prisoner. On the scale of the world, this guy's stock is sinking and sinking fast. And if we were all honest... Us as his Facebook friends would all be sitting there going, man, I don't know what's going on in that guy's life. I mean, a decade ago, he was rich and famous, and now he's in jail. But spiritually, what's happened to him? Spiritually, he's just grown. Spiritually, he has stayed right by God's side. Spiritually, he has kept moving forward. And so let's look at chapter 40. It says... And then it came about that these things, that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail in the same place where Joseph was in prison. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream on the same night. And each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, and behold, he saw they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We've had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on that vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh to get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. 
When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for the Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. And thus it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Now listen to this, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So there's a few things I want us to kind of look at here. The first thing that I want us to see is that consistent character drives consistent blessings. Now, I know that seems interesting because you read this story and you go, what blessings? What blessings does Joseph have here? Right? We've already talked about this. He's gone from favorite son to slave to prisoner. Where's the blessings? The blessings, brothers and sisters, that God talks about are not material possessions. It's reputation and it's your relationship with God. Notice wherever Joseph goes, what does everybody say about him? The Lord is with him and the Lord blesses his work. And even in this passage, we're revealed to something that we don't necessarily see said elsewhere. It says to us that when he's put into prison, that God looks upon him favorably. Look at uh, chapter 39, verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. See, the blessings is not title. It's not money. It's not popularity. It's not fame. It's that Joseph and God are good. They're good. And because they're good, not only does he have peace in that relationship, but those closest to him know who he is. And they always say the same thing about him. Always. See, brothers and sisters, the blessings that God cares about are not the things of this world. They're the things of the Spirit. And where you and I often get confused is, is that we want to take the promises that God makes about blessing us, and we want to strip out his blessings and replace them with the blessings of the world. And so when we hear verses that talk about our cup overflowing, we're not thinking about peace. We're not thinking about comfort. We're not thinking about love. We're thinking about money. We're thinking about power. But those are not the things that God cares about. Because God's word reveals to you those things will always leave you hungry. You can eat them all day long and they'll just leave you hungry. God desires to give you the meat. He desires to give you the thing that will really fill you up. And so the first thing that each and every one of us needs to think about when we think about wanting to be blessed is, what blessings are you seeking? What are you here for? 
If you're here for money and popularity and, and the worldly things, then you're in the wrong place. This is going to work out really bad for you. But if you're here for what God offers, well, then you will find blessing. And Joseph sees that in his life. Look at Psalm 37.5. It says, commit your way in the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Right? What's the blessing that Joseph knows? Joseph knows that God has a plan in motion. He may not understand it. He may not see it. He may not like every stop along the journey. But what does he know? God's acting. God's doing. God has a plan in this. There's that confidence in him that that exists. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What's God saying? God's saying that, look, if you are faithful to God, if you trust in God, and if you give to God all you have and all you are, do not worry about your returns. When you give to God everything you've got, you will always get more back than you could have ever dreamt of in your life. So I always remind you of that quote from A.W. Tozer where he says, If God were never to grant me another one of my dreams, another one of my wishes, I would have more than enough to praise him from now through eternity. God doesn't need to give me anything else. I have him. I have my life. I have his love. If it's a day where I can look up to the Heavenly Father and call him Dad, and he says, yes, my son, then tell me how that's a bad day. How? Consistent character consistently drives the blessings of the Spirit. Consistently, Joseph is put into places and people go, that man belongs to God, and God is with him. In Proverbs 22.1, it tells us this, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Do you believe that? Do you really want that? If I offered you amazing reputation where the people in your life knew that you belonged to God and that you reflected him, or I offered you money, which would you take? I mean, brothers and sisters, if God was really to look into your soul and give you your deepest desire, would it be that you know him more? Or would it have been something else? The deepest desire of a Christian should be no thing. It should be to know our Father more. To know him more intimately. Second thing, God's plan works on God's time. And this is the hardest part for being a Christian. We know God's acting. We know God's doing. But he's got his own clock. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there have been numerous times in my life where I am praying to God going, what is the game plan here? Are you awake? Do you see everything that's happening around me? Like, come on, this is the time to act. This is the time to strike. This is the time to do. But all you hear is crickets. And you're wondering, what's wrong? 
Well, brothers and sisters, what this story always reminds us as we keep going through it is we're very lucky that at none of these moments did God act. We're going to see through this man's life that everybody, not just Joseph, but everybody in this nation is blessed by the fact that God's plan takes its time. Brothers and sisters, if there's ever a moment where you think God's not acting, you're being very foolish. You're being very foolish. Just because you don't know the steps he's taken doesn't mean they're not being taken. And that's where faith comes in. Faith is us realizing that even though we may not understand everything, I know who he is, I know how he feels about me, and I know that he's moving forward. Got to have that. God's word tells us in Psalm 27, 4, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If you ever want to do a fun little test, just go through scripture and see how many times terrible mistakes happen because people refuse to wait for God. You remember Abraham, right? God tells Abraham, you're going to have more descendants than you can count. You won't just go from being a father. He will be the father of many nations. Count the stars, Abraham, and your descendants will outnumber those. And Abraham believes this. He believes it, but it kind of doesn't happen for a while. And he starts getting up there in age, and so what does he decide? Well, maybe I'll just have a child with somebody else, and then there, we'll fulfill God's promise that way. And it totally blows up in his face. God says he's going to do, God's going to do. Be patient and wait. His timing is always better than yours. And brothers and sisters, that's with everything. My wife doesn't like when I say this, but I often tell her, I'm like, I don't want to be here one second more than he wants me to be here. So if it's God's will, I die at 36. Well, then it's God's will, I die at 36. And that's what I want to have happen. Because the last thing I'd want to be is where he doesn't need me or want me to be. Now, I really pray that that's not true. <laughs> I really hope it's God's will to take me at like, I don't know, 90. I don't know about 100. Do I want to be 100? Probably. You know, you always say you don't want to be that old until you're that old. And then you realize that old's not that old. <laughs> like, I'll tell you, when I was 20, 40 seemed old. Now I'm 36. I'm like, 40's young. 50's young, you know? My old just keeps getting older. So I bet when I'm 80, I'm like, 90? Spring chicken. <laughs> we want to wait for God's plan. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to catch something interesting about this. Does Joseph have faith in God? Yes. Does Joseph wait for God to act? Yes. But does that mean that Joseph does nothing? No. Notice, what is Joseph doing in these moments? He is trying to get out. Right? Does he tell the cupbearer and the baker, hey, don't worry about me. God's got a plan. I'll get out of here. No, he goes, hey, look, I've told you the right interpretations. When this works out, please, 
Remember me. Remember me. Brothers and sisters, this is a huge thing for me with Christians in that I have seen so many Christians who will pray and pray and pray and pray but never do. When God describes the church to us, he says that Jesus is the head but that we are the body. That means if Christ is going to act in this world, guess who he's acting through? Us. So when you're praying for your neighbor to go to church, when you're praying for your family member to find Jesus, God may want you to do more than just pray. God may want you to go across the street to your neighbor, say, hey, how you doing? Would you like to come to church with me this weekend? When you've got somebody on your heart that you see is discouraged and sad and in despair, and you're going, God, I wish somebody would help lift them up. Maybe that's you. Maybe you should do that. God did not make spectators to sit back and just watch. He made people to interact and to be part of and to do. Your wisdom, your talent, your time, your money, your things are all to be used for the glory of God. Use them. Third thing. Godly people see their talents as a gift from God. Godly people see their talents as a gift from God. Who interprets the dream? Joseph. But who does he give glory to? To God. Notice, he doesn't say, I got this. You know, I'm really good at dreams. Let me take care of this for you. I got this. And in fact, there's no benefit to him bringing up God. Right? If he wants to get out, if he wants his name to be known, then what he should really be trying to do is go, I'm awesome. I'm amazing. If you want this, the only place to get it is me. But not Joseph. Joseph goes, God is the one that knows dreams. God is the one that interprets. God can tell you what is happening. Brothers and sisters, any talent you have, you should not be arrogant in it. And I'll be honest with you, it took me a while to understand this. It took me a while to understand this because we in the world, we understand this with certain talents, but not with others. So for example, if somebody's tall, we don't tend to go, you're amazing. How did you do that? How hard did you work to, get to become 6'2"? That's awesome. Right? And even sometimes with athletic ability, we tend to go, well, you just hit the jackpot. Right? Like Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. Did Usain Bolt work hard to become the fastest man in the world? Yes. But was he ever going to be slow? No. That man was built to be fast. And even if he had been lazy, and even if he had worked hard, the reality is, 99% of the people in the world, he would have just been faster than. Well, guess what? That's true of everything. Do you think you're funny because you're funny? No, God gave you humor. Do you think you're good with numbers for no reason? No, you're good with numbers because that's how God wired your brain. Do you think you're amazing at sensing people's emotions and connecting to them for just because you are? No, everything you're good at is because of the Father. And that means all those things are not just to be used for you, they're to be used for Him. So how are you using your talents for Him? How? How 
are you doing that? In Exodus chapter 31, it said this when they're talking about the building of the temple and the tabernacle. It said, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones and for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. God is describing this man to Moses who is going to be essential in building the tabernacle. And he says, I gave him all those skills. And so it's funny because a lot of times in this modern age, we, we see certain talents and go, clearly that's for the church, right? Oh, public speaking. Clearly you could use that for the church. God's going, you could use anything. I made this good guy good at carving wood for the purposes of God. Anything you're good at, how do you lay that at God's feet and say, I'm going to use this for the kingdom? And guess what? All of you are good at something. How are you using that for him? What you're good at is not because of you. It's a gift from God and should be treated that way. Lastly, people don't always come through, but God does. I bet you Joseph was really excited about meeting those men. And I bet you Joseph thought they might just be a way out. See, what I like about this chapter in particular is, is that at some points as you're reading the story of Joseph, you start to wonder, is this guy even real? Right? There's no complaining. There's no whining. There's no moments of him just giving up. He just always is there pushing forward for God. But in this moment, you get, you get a little glimpse, just a little glimpse into the pain he feels. Because after he tells these people their dreams, he reminds them, I don't even deserve to be here. I was a Hebrew who was sold here. And even being here as a foreigner, I have never done anything to deserve being in jail. So please, not only because I've helped you, but just because of what I've been through, remember me, please. Please remember me. And see, why I like this, brothers and sisters, is it's real. I'm not telling you to plaster a stupid fake smile on your face and act like everything's sunshine when it's not. Sometimes life sucks. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it feels like you are getting beat up all day long. And it's not wrong of you to feel that. But it is wrong of you to give up because of it. In those moments, we get back up, not in our might, but in his. And we keep moving forward, not because we have some secret source of power that comes from our character. We move forward because the spirit of God is in us. Because that spirit of fear is gone and we have power and we have love and we have self-discipline driving us forward. And we keep moving. Sometimes people need to hear that your world sucks. Sometimes people need to see the pain that you're in. Because it opens them up to reveal the pain they're in. I'm not asking for you to be fake. I'm asking for you to be faithful in the hard times. Just like Joseph. 
He didn't want to wake up in a prison every day. He didn't want to wake up in a foreign land every day. He didn't want this life. But he knew that God was with him. And he knew that God was blessing him. And he had faith that at some point and in some time, it would all come together. That's the same faith you need to have. You may not always understand what's happening, but God will come through. And I promise you, as you continue through this story, we will see it is such a blessing that God hasn't come through just yet. It's a blessing, not just to Joseph, but to the whole nation that Potiphar didn't believe him. It's a blessing that his brothers sold him and betrayed him. It's a blessing that he was thrown into jail. It's a blessing that he has had to sit and wait. And while it will take 15 years, they estimate 15 years of his life, from the time that he is taken out of his father's home until he meets Pharaoh, 15 years. All of that happens with an awesome plan behind it. I stress you to remember that because, brothers and sisters, sometimes we read through this and you're like, oh, we read two chapters. All right, so Joseph was in jail, he's out of jail, all of a sudden he's rich. Boom, see? All worked out. No, that's 15 years in those six paragraphs. It's not a tough week. It's a tough decade. But he stood strong. He stood strong. And guess what? He's not superhuman. He's just like you and me. But his strength doesn't come from him. It comes from God. And that's what we got to do. You have to look in the mirror and realize you can't do it. You aren't good enough. You aren't powerful enough. You aren't smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not anything enough. But that's okay. Because you don't have to be. Your Father will give you everything you need. But you got to be willing to fall upon your knees and go, I'm not enough. I can't do this on my own. Father, please, lead me, guide me. When you do that, it all changes. Because then no matter how feeble you may be, the Almighty God picks you up and you become an instrument in the hands of the Almighty. And he has shown he can do awesome things with very broken tools. That's, to be, that's my dream, to be honest with you. My dream is that at the end of my life, people will go, I don't know how God used that fool to do so much. I don't know how God took such an untalented, unattractive man and did so much with him. It's kind of a miracle. That's what I hope for. I hope for everybody to be dumbfounded by how God used me in his kingdom. And I pray the same for you, not because I think you're fools. Well, some of you. I want everybody to be blown away with how God has used us. What a dream that would be.
Because when that happens, it's not our name that will be remembered. It will be his. It will be his name that's glorified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we're just so blessed to be your children. Father, I pray that you'll be with the people in this room, Lord, and that you'll remind them that no matter how dark the time is, no matter which pressure is around them, that, Father, you're there. You're there in the midst of it all. Your power, your love, your strength, it's right there waiting for them, Father. And that though they may not see it, you have a plan. You have a way. Father, may we show the kind of faith that points everybody in our lives to you. And Father, may you take these broken instruments in this room and may you use us to do mighty works. Father, we love you and we praise you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Maria comes up to close us in song, I'll be up here at the front. Our deacons will be in the back. If there is anything that you just want to pray with somebody about, feel free to come forward and pray with us. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during church, seek us out after. We are always here to worship with you, to talk with you, and to help you along your journey. Maria? Let's all stand and turn in your hymnal to page 294, page 294.
things living in me. Verse 1. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the people say it. It's a blessing to worship with you guys. Uh, thank you for hanging in there with me. I hope you guys have a great week. Remember, we got birthday cakes and uh, time to celebrate out here in the fellowship hall. Yes, James? Can everyone be seated for just a second, please? He talked about God's timing. Nicole, come on up. Actually, last month was a pastor appreciation month, and I'm sure he was thinking we didn't appreciate him. But, uh, I had very hurt feelings last month. <laughs> but as it is God's timing, uh, better late than never. Uh, but we do have a token of our appreciation for these two and their beautiful family. We thank you. Just a small thing to, to say we do appreciate you. We have some for Brother Joe and Eva, who's not here today. Uh, we'll get that to them next week during the Spanish service, but we are so thankful that God has brought this man here and Brother Joe and Eva also to our congregation to lead us, and uh, we, we can't thank God enough, so we just want to thank y'all for letting God work through you, and this is from one fool to another, <laughs> uh, that uh, just letting God work in you and through you, we appreciate it. We love y'all. Right, let's eat cake. Have a good week, guys. Oh, thank you. No, don't do anything. No, don't. Sometimes you